So what we find here is a voluntary entering into fasting. We refrain from eating for a while in order to acknowledge something that is happening right now. Hey everyone, welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this episode, I'd like to talk about fasting. And I'm sure since we've just entered Lent, that this is a word that you've encountered recently. Maybe you've seen it on the Facebook page of your parish or community talking about what is fasting? What is abstinence? When are we supposed to fast? When are we supposed to abstain? What are the guidelines for fasting? I've seen a lot of those shared recently on my feed. Or maybe you went to Ash Wednesday Mass yesterday and you listened to the priest. And the priest started talking about fasting and about how Ash Wednesday is a day of fasting for all Catholics. Meaning, you're only really supposed to have one full meal for that day. However... It was already 5 p.m. when you attended Mass, and by that time, you've already had four meals. And so it was kind of too late for you to fast, right? I think generally, when it comes to regular Mass goers, regular Filipino Mass goers, there's the first kind who practice fasting, and then there's the second kind who hear about fasting, but don't really get to do it for a number of reasons, right? Some of them just don't understand it or some of them don't find it relevant or important. What difference does this even make? I don't really get it. So maybe I'll just put it aside for now and maybe we'll get to do it next year or next Friday or next Holy Week and so on and so forth. And I think that is a good place to start because fasting is an ancient practice. It's not a modern practice. It's not something that we invented just a couple years ago. It's something that people have been doing for thousands of years. And when we have something like that, it can be easy sometimes to look at the practice in isolation and then think about how, okay, this doesn't really make sense with where I am right now without remembering that this was not practice or this was not started where you are right now. It was started in a different context. It was started in a different time. And the reason why it has pressed on and continued forward is because there is a value in it that continues to go forward as well. And so even if we are modern-day people, we practice this ancient practice. I remember the very first talk I gave was about fasting. It was also during Lent, and it was around 10 years ago, the very first time I was invited to talk in front of young people. And I was asked to talk about fasting, the value of fasting, why do we do it, and how do we do it. But there was a problem during that time. The problem during that time is that I myself did not fast. However, I liked a good challenge and I liked speaking and it's something that I really enjoyed if it's not obvious yet. And so I said yes, even though I should have said no because I didn't really practice it at the time. I said yes and then I prepared my talk, I prepared my preaching, um, I did my research. So in terms of the 
what I said. I, I, I don't think I said anything wrong or heretical. <laughs> I think I'm pretty orthodox when it comes to what I said during that time. But it was also quite shallow because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really practice it. And when it comes to these disciplines, these are spiritual disciplines, right? These are not just things that you're supposed to talk about. These are things that you're supposed to embody. That is why they are practices and not just head-level lessons. And so I stand by until today that my very first talk of all time is my very worst talk. And I am glad that during that time, there was no such thing as Facebook live stream yet and that there is no record of me giving that talk whatsoever. Anyway, today is different and the approach I would like to take for this episode is I'd like to draw mostly from scripture. A lot of catechists already have a lot to say when it comes to the practice of fasting and abstinence, but we'll focus more on fasting for today. And I'll leave those kinds of discussions to them. And for today, I want to focus more on what the Bible says about fasting. So we're going to take a look at a bunch of passages and I'd be, I'll be pausing and telling you more about the context, what is happening in the story, and hopefully through these different examples of fasting that we see in the story of the scriptures, we come to understand better why they did it during that time and why we should do it here today. Before that, if you find what we do here valuable, if it's been helping you or someone that you care about, please do help us out by supporting us, by giving to us. There are links in the description of this episode where you can find how you can do that and your giving to this podcast helps us, helps me get better equipment so that I could make this better and dedicate more of my time so that I could produce more episodes that you could listen to and learn from. Okay, let's get started. The first passage we'll read for today comes from Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 4. It says, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days, where he was tempted by the devil. During that time, he ate nothing, and at the end of it, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to be transformed into bread. Jesus answered him, As it states in Scripture, Man does not live by bread alone. Our very first example of fasting for today comes from Jesus himself. And this happened right after his baptism. Jesus' baptism is one of the marks of the beginning of his earthly ministry. Because after he is baptized, what does he do? He starts teaching and healing and preaching. He starts traveling from one place to another. He starts gathering followers calling followers who would become his disciples, who would become later on the apostles. This is where things get started. This is where they exit out of the Shire and travel all the way to Mordor. And so this is very, very important. However, there is something valuable that happens in between the baptism and the ministry itself, the teaching and healing and preaching. There's something that happens in between, and this is what we see. This is the time when Jesus enters into the wilderness, enters into the desert, was tested, was tempted by the enemy, and where he fasted. He did not eat for 40 days. 
And it just kind of gets you thinking, di ba? When you're about to launch a new project, a new business, or a new endeavor, a new movement, what do you do? Oftentimes, we begin with a grand opening, di ba? We cut the ribbons or we post that first post online saying that this is our official launch. We are on. This has started. And then right after that, you just get into business. You start meeting people. You start connecting with others. You start welcoming people in. That usually is what we do when we get something started today. But how does Jesus start? When Jesus was baptized, when he was beginning his ministry, the very first thing he does is not a grand opening, but a fasting. He fasted for 40 days. That was the first thing he did. And this is very important because he was beginning something that would change the world. And he decided, he chose to begin it by not eating. Why? First, to appreciate this better, let's contrast it to what happens right after. So, in, we read earlier from Luke chapter 4. Now we want to read from Luke chapter 5 in the middle of Luke chapter 5. So, Jesus has already started his ministry, has already started connecting with people. And he calls a man named Levi. Levi is a tax collector and he isn't liked by many people. Aside from collecting taxes, he was also a traitor because tax collectors during that time, they were Jewish, but they worked for the Romans. They worked for the enemies, the enemy occupiers of their land. Because if they were collecting taxes, where would the taxes go? Parang ganon. They were working for the enemies of their people, which made them worse than just enemies because they were traitors. And so Jesus calls this tax collector and then they celebrated. They had this big feast, big banquet in his house where his tax collector friends also arrived and celebrated and ate and talked with them. And the, the religious leaders did not like this because Jesus, who was supposed to be some sort of a rabbi also, some sort of a religious leader also, was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with people that he should not have been hanging out with, at least from their perspective. And so Jesus responds to them. It is not the healthy who need the physician, but rather those who are sick. And then this is what happens afterward. In chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 35, it says, Then they said to him, John's disciples fast frequently and pray often, and the disciples of the Pharisees do likewise. But your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, how can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is still with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then in those days they will fast. So what do we find here? We find here people asking about why Jesus and his followers do not fast. But is that true though? Does Jesus not fast? Because in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 4, we just saw Jesus fasting for 40 days. It was a very long time. It was very intense. It was the very first thing he did, and so it must have been important. But here, he is criticized for not fasting. But how does Jesus respond? He responds by saying that there is a time for fasting, and this is not it. This is not it. There was a time, and I did that already. And now, this is not the time for fasting. What is the 
image that he brings to mind. He calls to mind the image of a wedding feast, a wedding banquet. How can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is still with them? Oh, ano man, no? Like, if you attend the wedding and you go to the reception and then you fast, diba? Nobody wants to eat because everyone is fasting. That wouldn't make for a happy celebration because no one is eating and eating is connected to celebrating, right? Kapag ka bagong graduate tayo, what do we do? We eat out. When we celebrate our birthdays, what do we do? We eat out. What do we do when we just got engaged or about to get engaged? We eat out. Whenever there's something that's meant to be celebrated, meant to be enjoyed, one of the primary ways that we do that is we eat. We respond in a bodily manner to reflect something that is happening in reality. And in the same manner that feasting, eating, is an expression of something real that is happening either within us or around us, Fasting, on the other hand, is also an expression of something real that is happening within us or around us. If we eat when we celebrate, when do we fast? Following the example of Jesus, one of the reasons we fast is when we're preparing. Is when something important is about to happen, we fast. When something important has happened, we feast, we eat, we celebrate. When something important is about to happen, we fast. That is why during Lent, as we're preparing ourselves for Holy Week, which is very important, we are invited to fast. That's the connection. Inasmuch as feasting is a response to something good that has happened, Fasting is a response for something good that is about to happen, something that we are about to enter into. We fast. There is a time for feasting and there is a time for fasting. I think the feasting part, we've got it covered already because we like eating. As Filipinos, we enjoy eating. There's always food. Even when we're doing something that's not really happy, there is still food. Mga lamay, for example, there's always food. And I'm not telling you to not serve food kapag ka may lamay. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just, I'm just leading us to think more about this. This very important practice. Sige, let's head to a different example elsewhere in the Bible. This time, I want to read from the Old Testament. And Another thing that fasting expresses, aside from preparation, is grief, is sadness. So again, look at the counterexample. In feasting, we celebrate, we are happy. In fasting, it's also connected to grief and sadness. And an example of that, what we find, is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. It says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And the men who were with him did the same. They mourned and wept, and they fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, as well as for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So fasting here is demonstrated as a response to death, as a response to mourning. When we mourn, we fast. 
And David here is not just mourning for a friend. Yes, he was mourning for a friend, his friend Jonathan, but he was also mourning for his enemy because Saul was the guy who was trying to get him killed all this time. And yet death is that big of a brokenness in this world that he and his men mourned even when their enemy died and when his friend, his best friend, died. Fasting is an expression of mourning. Reading from Psalm 35, verses 12 to 14, it says, They give me back evil in place of good and leave my soul in sorrow. Yet, when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and afflicted myself with fasting. While I poured forth prayers from my heart, I went about as though in grief, as though for a friend or brother I bowed down in sorrow, as though lamenting for a mother. So what we find here is a voluntary entering into fasting. We refrain from eating for a while in order to acknowledge something that is happening right now. If we're just thinking about this on a practical level, it makes sense, no? Because when you're hungry, you know it. You are aware of it. You feel a bodily sensation when you are hungry. And so when you voluntarily afflict yourself with hunger, you are also reminded when you are hungry of why you are voluntarily afflicting yourself with hunger. So if you are mourning for something, while you are hungry, you feel your hunger, you are reminded of what you are mourning for. And it becomes, again, a bodily expression of a reality that we find within ourselves and around ourselves. Fasting is a powerful expression of a certain reality. It is a halting. It is a pattern disruption. Because we eat every day and we eat multiple times a day and when we fast, we know it. We mark it. What a lot of people are more familiar with now is intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting is not really a spiritual exercise. It's more of a bodily exercise. If you want to lose weight, intermittent fasting is a good way of going about it. And when you do intermittent fasting, you choose to eat only within certain window hours. So for example, if you're following an eight-hour window, you eat only for those eight hours. So from 12 noon, for example, all the way to 8 p.m., you are allowed to eat. But 8 p.m. all the way until the next 12 noon, the next day, you don't eat. You fast for that time. And when you fast for that time, especially if you're new to intermittent fasting, what do you feel? You feel Hunger, of course. I mean, who wouldn't be hungry? But it is part of that, diba? Right? When you're trying to accomplish something with intermittent fasting, you bear through the hunger and you focus on why you are doing that thing. As a spiritual exercise, fasting is not meant for us to lose weight. It can result in that, but that's not the primary purpose. If we do fasting as a spiritual exercise, it is meant for us to mark certain days as important, as days of us remembering something, keeping in mind something that we're preparing for in the future or that we are mourning in the past. 
Where else do we find this? We also find this in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, They replied, Those who survived the captivity and remained in the province are in dire distress and badly demoralized. The walls of Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Upon hearing this, I sat down and wept, mourning for several days while fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we have here Nehemiah who is living in a different place outside of Jerusalem during this time and he hears about what happened in his hometown. Something tragic has happened. The temple, the center of their worship, the center of their culture was destroyed. It's almost as if Imagine like an OFW living somewhere else, hearing about something that happened in the Philippines. Maybe a terrible, a terrible storm or a terrible earthquake and there's much destruction that happened. And as an OFW, you're not there, but you mourn with your people because you care about your people. This is what is happening to Nehemiah. And upon hearing of this tragic circumstance, how does Nehemiah respond? He responds... By fasting, mourning with them through his body. So fasting can be a response to death. Fasting can be a response to tragedy. This is something that we can actually practice more, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. It can be so easy to fall into rants and all sorts of comments and gossip and even anger and... Worse than anger, wrath. And fasting helps us regulate ourselves, helps us entrust to the Lord all of these tragic things that are happening instead of spiraling down into our thoughts and into our conversations with different people that we either agree with or disagree with. And fasting helps us root ourselves to the Lord. Fasting partnered with prayer. Let's go to another example of fasting. Going back to the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 5-6, to 6, it says, Samuel then said, Assemble all of the Israelites at Mizpah, and I will intercede to the Lord for you. When they had gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it before the Lord. They fasted that day and confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was the judge of the Israelites at Mizpah. Now what do we observe in this passage? What we observe in this passage is that fasting is something that is done as a community as well. That's why when the church tells us to fast, as in Pag-ash Wednesday or Good Friday, let's fast in in. Union with the church, let us participate as a community in fasting and in praying in this manner. This is not just something that we do ourselves. Although, yes, we could do it ourselves. This is something that we do as a member of a bigger body. So that's one of the things that we see. It is done in community. Another thing that we see is that it's not just tragic circumstances that are responded with fasting. It is also sin. 
our own faults, our own brokenness, our own failures, the times when we missed the mark, the times when we rebelled against God, the times when we have hurt someone else, someone that we care about, or someone that we should have cared about, or maybe even sometimes ourselves. When we have hurt people, when we have hurt creation, when we sin, when we fall short, our response to that is fasting. It's fasting. We don't celebrate in response of sin. We don't feast in response of sin. We do the opposite. We fast. We fast. And when we fast, something real happens in us also. When we subject ourselves, afflict ourselves with hunger voluntarily, we are reminding ourselves of our own need. And we are training for self-control. We are training for self-discipline so that we might be more open to the graces that God gives and so that we could turn away from these other tendencies that we have. When we are tempted toward spiritual things, relational sins, emotional sins, one way of embodying that is by practicing self-control on the physical level. And that is one of the things that fasting does for us. We respond to death, we respond to tragedy, and we respond to sin. Sin that brings about death. Sin that brings about tragedy. And to tie everything back together for our last set of passages, I want to read from Acts, the book of Acts, and connecting it to where we started with Jesus preparing for something and so he fasted, responding to a huge call, a huge shift in his life, and so he fasted. Here we see the apostles doing the same. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 4, it says, On one occasion, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set Barnabas and Saul apart for me to do the work to which I have called them. Then, after completing their fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What's even more cool about this is that they haven't even decided who to send when they were fasting. They were fasting and then God told them who to send. Fasting also opens us up to hearing better the voice of the Lord. And then something happens the chapter after. So going to chapter 14, verses 22 to 23, this time, this is Paul and Barnabas speaking, um, or well, at the center of the passage, it says, They strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to persevere in the faith, saying, It is necessary for us to undergo many hardships in order to enter the kingdom of God. In each church, they appointed presbyters for them, and with prayer and fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they had come to believe. So fasting, again, is a thing that we do in church, in community, together. You can do it individually, but it's also something that we do together. When we respond to affliction, when we respond to suffering, when we respond to death, when we want to turn away from sin, we express that in a bodily manner by fasting. Does that make more sense now? For me, what, what has really helped me is contrasting it to feasting, contrasting it to eating when we're celebrating. You say, oh, nga, no? we don't even talk about it. We don't even acknowledge it. But 
eating seems like such a natural thing to do when we're celebrating something good, when we're able to accomplish something, when we're happy about something that happened, we eat. But how come we don't do the opposite when we are in an opposite state? When we are either preparing, so hindi patapos, unlike sa feasting, where it's finished already and we're celebrating, we're preparing, we don't fast. Or when we're sorrowful, when we're grieving, we don't fast. Sometimes we do involuntarily. If you've met someone who's heartbroken, it is natural that they don't want to eat. Wala silang gana. Why is that the case? Perhaps our body is telling us in those situations something about ourselves too. Something about how we tend or ought, not just tend, ought to respond to situations like heartbreak. That when something bad happens, it is natural for us to fast. Yes, we should still eat in terms of nutrition, in terms of sustenance, right? We shouldn't just stop eating altogether. But fasting is a valid response to heartbrokenness. Fasting is a valid response to sorrow. Fasting is a valid response to mourning. Fasting is a valid response to wanting to turn away from my past ways. And for our very last passage for today, I'm going to list this all in the description if you want to go back to them. But for our very last passage for today, it comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 28 to 29. The apostles were trying to drive out an enemy spirit from someone who is possessed. And then Jesus comes in and he's able to, he's able to drive it out, whereas the apostles were not. And so they asked Jesus. When he went indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why were we not able to cast it out? He answered, This kind cannot be driven out except by prayer and by fasting. There is spiritual power in fasting. In the Catholic Church, now during Lent, our obligatory days for fasting is Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. It means that we only eat one full meal for those days. And actually, very generous nga ang church because eh, it even allows like two small snacks kung hindi natin kaya yung one meal lang for the day. But I want to challenge you to try to take just one meal for the entire day in those days where when we are praying together as a community, praying together as a church, fasting together as we remember the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, I published this the day after Ash Wednesday, so it's kind of too late for me to do that on Ash Wednesday if I didn't get to do it. Well, those are the days that are prescribed by the church, but fasting, like I said, is something that we can do individually or we can do as a family. When something is happening in our lives, when we're preparing for something, when we're turning away from something, this is something that we can do. And when we do it, as Jesus tells us, you don't have to tell others. You don't have to let them know, oh, I'm fasting huh? and I'm praying for this and I'm praying for that. No, you don't have to. This is between you and the Lord. In fact, you could even do that because on the Fridays of Lent, we are asked to abstain. And abstinence means that we don't eat meat like chicken, beef, pork. We can eat fish and eggs and dairy, but we don't eat the pork, beef, chicken, lamb, 
meat if you eat lamb and uh, stuff like that but if if you would like to you could also practice fasting on those days or you could practice fasting on different days some that i know they practice fasting during holy week itself so for an entire week or sometimes from holy thursday all the way to black saturday they fast there are different types of fasting and siguro uh, just an uh, as a last um as a last note Sometimes, when we talk about fasting in church, we talk about fasting from other things, diba? Aside from fasting from food, maybe you could, pra- uh, you could practice fasting from gossip or practice fasting from anger or practice fasting from this and that. And I think, personally, this is my opinion, I think that's fine, you know? Fast from social media, fast from certain responses, fast from bad words and so on. I think those are fine. But, I also think that physical fasting, as in fasting from what you eat, there is still value in doing that. And so if you're going to fast from other things, still practice the physical fasting. Still practice the fasting from eating. And then you could add on the other things if you like. That is my personal opinion. Because I think there is still power in having a bodily response. Because we're not just minds floating in the ether. We are embodied creatures, embodied beings, embodied creation. And as we respond internally, it's also helpful to respond externally. Because our external affects our internal and our internal affects our external. And so let's not separate the two. Let's also fast in a bodily manner. That is my recommendation for you. And this is coming from someone na hindi natulad nung 10 years ago na walang alam sa fasting. At least, uh, there's still so much more that I could learn about this. There's still so much more that I could practice and, good, and get better at when it comes to the spiritual discipline of fasting. But this is something that I'd like to invite you to take part in as well because this is one of the practices that we have in church that the church gives to us for our own sake so that we could be more responsive to the work that Jesus is doing, the message that Jesus is giving to us personally, individually, as well as as a church, in a community. And so, Lots of stuff to think about. I'll be posting the verses I referenced in the description as well as some resources that you might find helpful about fasting. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Again, if you would like to support this show, if you find this valuable, what we talked about just now and what we've been talking about in the previous episodes, please do help us out by giving. That would help bring this further, what we're doing here. Thank you very much again for listening all the way through and I'll see you in our next episode. Bye!